What does it even mean? Your pursuit of gut health is probably taking you down a rabbit hole of misinformation, useless concoctions, and false promises. So this is where this uncensored podcast comes in. The gastroenterologist and his daughter is the first of its kind, bringing a specialist gastroenterologist and his daughter, yours truly, to help you navigate the world of all things gut health from mouth to bum and everything in between. Join me, Sandra McHale, gut health specialist dietitian and founder of Nutrition A to Z, and my father, Wagdi McHale, specialist gastroenterologist and internist, as we unpack the most talked about topics in gut health, covering both the medical and lifestyle aspects of all things gut, with a ton of comedy and fecal tete-a-tete. Right, let's get into it. We are finally back with our second season and are ready to inundate your minds and ears again with all things gut health. But before we kick things off today, let's just check in and see how dad is doing. Dad, how was your holiday? Hi, how are you, Sandra? I think you have to tell me how is your holiday? Because <laughs> we were together. <laughs> yeah, because but you came to Egypt after 13 years. So it's a long time. So what's your impression? Um, things haven't changed <laughs> in 13 years. It's still very chaotic, but we very it was it was enjoyable. We loved it. The kids loved it. I think Cairo was way too hot for everyone, but I guess it was just a time of year and it was expected. No, we really enjoyed it. And I think we were very, very happy that all of us did not end up with any gut issues or food poisoning. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Yeah, that's what you're afraid of before you're coming. But I told you, a lot of Egyptians eat everything and nothing happens. (laughs) No, (laughs) not at all. And I think the beaches there were beautiful. We were very lucky to have some great days where you and mom have the beach house, basically, because the beach can be very, very rough. But we were very happy to have some beautiful sunshine and beautiful, calm, crystal clear water, which is exactly what we wanted. Yeah, you know, Egypt has got the most beautiful beaches in the world, maybe. Maybe you're biased, Dad, but yes, it is one of the most beautiful beaches in the world. That is correct. To our listeners, as Dad and I were planning the outline for the season, one of the specific topics that was requested by some of you listeners and followers is on antibiotics. So here we are, and I want to kind of kick things off with Dad. Maybe you can give us a bit of an introduction of the history of antibiotics and what do we know? Sandra, before I go to the history of antibiotic, I want to know how many years you haven't taken antibiotic. I haven't. Uh, let me think now. It is 13 years. Oh, that's a record. Yeah, that's what I, I, I want to start with this because you don't have to take antibiotic unless you need it. So I'll go to the history of the antibiotic. Well, my question to you is when was the last time you took antibiotics? I think you might have spoken about this in another episode, but you might have taken it earlier this year for a chest infection. Yeah, yeah, about maybe nine months ago or something. But uh, I didn't, even I'm I'm a doctor, I didn't take it myself. I discussed with my pulmonologist and he told me to take it for seven days. So I did. So uh, even I don't take antibiotic unless prescribed by my my doctorate. All right, so I'll just for the history of the antibiotic, it's very interesting because once we talked about Egypt, so the first people who 
were no antibiotic is the ancient Egyptians. You know, they used various natural substances like moldy bread or honey to treat the infection. You know, this oh, substance, really? this, uh, this substance they, they contained antimicrobial properties. But the people at that time, I don't know if they don't fully understand the science behind it or not. We don't know because they are there is something they are very, very advanced. Even we don't know how did they build the pyramids and so forth. Anyway, the modern era of the antibiotic after the Egyptians starts with Fleming's accidental discovery of penicillin. You know that. This was in uh, 1929. He accidentally discovered this because he was studying the Staphylococcus bacteria. And he went on a holiday. And when he came back, he found that one of his uh, dishes inhibited the growth of bacteria by a mold called penicillium notatum. So this observation, when he concluded this, he said the mold-released substance had killed the bacteria, and he called it penicillin. And after this, his discovery, it went unnoticed largely till 1940s. Another researchers uh, in uh, Oxford University, they called Howard Florey and Ernest Chain. They studied this and they investigated the penicillin and they developed methods to extract the and purify penicillin and making it suitable for therapeutic use. And Did they 19- steal his idea? <laughs> yeah. No, obviously not. <laughs> no, because in uh, 1941, the first patient was successfully treated with penicillin. And this is started the antibiotic era. And that happened during the war- Second World War. So the penicillin has played a great crucial role as well in treating infected wounds and saving lives as well. So uh, after this, they started to have uh, the era of the antibiotics. And, uh, you know, the uh, above three uh, scientists, Flemings and uh, Howard and Ernest, they got the 1945 Nobel Prize in medicine for that. Yes, I remember that. It was like a trivia question, but uh, I clearly got it wrong. Yeah. Now we know. Yeah, you know. And following this, of course, after that, uh, the the era of penicillin, another antibiotic discovered is uh, like streptomycin. Streptomycin is the first antibiotic to treat tuberculosis. And later on, tuberculosis is treated with group of antibiotics later on. And this was discovered by a researcher, American researcher called Selman Oxman in 1943. After this, the other antibiotics like chromphenicol, uh, tetracycline, erythromycin, all this uh, introduced later on. And you know now there is hundreds of antibiotics. And Yeah, you can't keep up. Well, I can't keep up with the antibiotics anymore, but yeah. uh, that yeah. definitely opened up a door. Yeah, that's the history of the antibiotics. For those who want to know more, what actually is an antibiotic? The antibiotic are medication. They are powerful medications used to treat bacterial infection. So only bacterial infection. So they are not effective against viral infection. And I think you have to highlight that because I know, let's say, whether it's in Dubai or actually quite a lot of places where you could get the antibiotics over the counter. If they have, you know, a a cold, they would automatically assume that an antibiotic would help. This is definitely wrong. Even the flu, the diarrhea and... Unless it is bacterial infection proved, you don't take antibiotic. And it's better not to take it by yourself. By the way, in, in Dubai now, you cannot get antibiotic over the counters. It has been. Oh, really? 
Yes, yes. For, when? That is know, huge. Was that recent? Yeah, no, not recent. For the last few years, you cannot get it over the counter, the antibiotics. No. So, uh, that I in some places, I think in some places you can. Mm, I, I don't know. <laughs> under the counter, no longer the over counter, the counter. Not over the counter. <laughs> but uh, now they are, and I think this year they are very strict of the antibiotics and other drugs as well. So get, things are getting better. Yeah? So I think when but it comes this, to antibiotics, we generally see it as, you know, there's there's the good side of it, the bad side of it, and the ugly side of it. And I think one of the main things that you mentioned, and you're probably going to talk about, so the main four benefits of antibiotics and when indicated, what are they? Yeah. First thing, the, as we said, they treat the infection, they are highly effective in eliminating or controlling the bacterial infection. The antibiotic, they act two things, either something called bactericidal and they kill the bacteria. Or bacteriostatic, they stop or they control the bacterial infection not to be active. The the you know the the example of the uh, bacteria infection, pneumonia, urinary tract infection, bacterial infection of the skin, sore throat, which is bacterial, uh, acute tonsillitis, which yeah. bacteria, because sometimes it is viral. This uh, you have to be careful that should be bacterial infection. And the doctor can test for that, correct? The yes. doctor can actually think if it's strep throat or not. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay. Another benefit is. To prevent the complications, when you treated the infection, you prevent the complications of the disease and uh, not to go on sepsis, which is uh, infection of the blood. Or, and in some cases, with the third benefit is the, in the intensive care unit with the life-threatening severe infections. If you use the antibiotic, the proper antibiotic, the proper dose and proper, which is specifically kill these bacteria, you can save lives of this. And yeah. another important thing as well, if there is epidemics, they, they are like uh, tuberculosis, which is came before uh, as an epidemic, so or yeah. bacterial meningitis, all this crucial role in controlling these epidemics. And preventing the spread of it. Yes, that's true. If we had to look at the benefits of antibiotics specific to gut diseases... Which are the ones you would highlight and say, yeah, antibiotics have been indicated for these specific conditions? Yeah, from my side, this gastrointestinal disease, they can treat bacterial gastroenteritis, diverticulitis, which is inflammation of the colon. These pockets in the colon, which causes, is called diverticulitis. And when inflamed, they are uh, having, we call it diverticulitis. It's important as well, H. pylori eradication. You know H. pylori, which is the bacteria yes. of the stomach, yeah, which causes uh, gastric ulcer, duodenal ulcer, there's risk of cancer. Once it is positive, we have to treat it. And we have to treat with a combination of antibiotics. And for this as well, we have got a lot of problems because of the misuse of the antibiotics. So we get resistance for uh, we'll call we'll we'll talk about it later but yeah. it's very good example the h pylori because we use we got a lot of regimen for antibiotics eradicating for h pylori yeah and we use it in the countries according to the resistance of the country of the antibiotics yeah, and sometimes the regimen which I use in Dubai I can't use it somewhere else oh uh, really so it's really yes. dependent on the the resistance. The country, yeah. like the resi well, obviously, yeah, the resistance is yeah. country dependent. 
to some extent, yeah, because in Europe, sometimes we don't have resistance to certain antibiotics, which is in Dubai or Middle East, with a lot of resistance of it. So we can use this regimen in uh, Europe, but I don't, I can't use it in uh, Middle East. Okay. Yeah. So this is a very important point we might talk about later. And another benefit from gastrointestinal points of view in the uh, post-surgical prevention of infection of uh, uh, people with the uh, major surgery, sometimes we use antibiotic as prophylaxis before and sometimes after the surgery as well. So it will, or while you are in the, the surgery, because you use the cover of the antibiotic during the surgery. So it is very beneficial in this point. Okay. When we do all of this, it will prevent the complications of potential complications of the sepsis, as we said before, spread of infection to other parts of the body, and minimize the risk of uh, the associated problems with the complications. Yeah. I mean, basically, okay, all right. So the good it would be a handful, but it's very clearly it is very specific and highly indicated. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, just like any medication, antibiotics come with side effects. And this is when we talk about the bad. And so can you talk about the bad side effects? I think I'm going to talk about the ugly side effects. You can talk <laughs> about the bad. I will talk about the ugly. But I think, I mean, with the bad, again, which we can talk about because a part of it can be prevent, you know, prevented. So I think one of the most common side effects of antibiotics would be antibiotic-associated diarrhea, correct? Yes, one of them is. Uh, this is, we, we have to talk about it a little bit of details because the antibiotic-associated diarrhea is important because we can classify it in two parts here. The common diarrhea, which is usually hasn't got any problems, it will self-limiting, but we have to be careful that it is not associated with infection. The other diarrhea, which is caused by due to the interruption or disruption of the microbiota of the gut, the infection with something called Clostridium difficile, we call it CD difficile. Yeah. If it affected, it will cause something called pseudomembranous colitis, an inflammation of the colon, and it will be diarrhea, sometimes bloody diarrhea, abdominal pain. And it is difficult to treat sometimes because we treat it with other antibiotics. So we have to be very careful if we have any loose motion or diarrhea after the antibiotic, it is important to check for this. To make sure it's not C. difficile. My question is, is it common? Do you see that often? It's not uncommon, let us say. So we have to be careful Okay. Are there specific groups that are at a higher risk? So I think, again, maybe just trying to go through, you know, test my memory here, but yeah. is it more common within, let's say, the elderly and people with a poor immune system? They could well, be at higher risk. Yeah, definitely. You have to be, because the immune system plays a role in these things because, and the disturbance of the gut flora. With the low immunity, sometimes the opportunistic infection can go on and have some infection and causing this diarrhea. And yeast infections, I think, are another common side effect, right? I heard, I know a lot of my clients will develop oral thrush after being on antibiotics. Yes, the the effect of the antibiotic, as we said before, it will cause the change of the dysbiosis or uh, gut flora 
And this fungal infection will be more, and the yeast infection will be more. So we can have thrush in the mouth, vaginal thrush as well. So we have to be careful of anything like this. And usually we tell the patient all these side effects to be careful if something happens to inform us straight away. And if you do develop thrush, do you have to take an antifungal? It depends on this. Sometimes it is... Does it resolve on its own? Sometimes if you have got good immunity, sometimes it is temporary. Once you stop this antibiotic or the course is finished. Mm -hmm. But usually if it is, we can give an antifungal infection either locally or systemic uh, antifungal. Okay. And another bad side effects, which is common, or the usually the digestive side effects like diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, bloating, all of this can happen. And this is the direct effect of antibiotic on the gastrointestinal uh, system and the change in the gut flora. So this is wrap up of the bad effect of the antibiotic. Yeah. And I mean, from the ugly side of things, it's I'm not going to say it's it's mainly the impact of antibiotics on our gut microbiome. I mean, you mentioned a what antibiotics are. Not only do antibiotics are you know killing, let's say, the bad bacteria, but also the good ones as well. And I think if we had to look at it, maybe to break it down a little bit more for people, is what antibiotics do to our gut microbiome. And just a quick refresher is that our gut microbiome and these this is like your trillion or the community of microorganisms that's bacteria, fungi, viruses, and yeast. I mean, living in harmony within your digestive tract. The impact on how antibiotics can affect the balance and diversity of this inner ecosystem or community can be broken down into one. So it can impact your microbial composition. So, I mean, if you had to look at how antibiotics work, Dad, just like you said, they target and kill or inhibit the growth of specific bacteria that are causing an infection, but they don't discriminate. So basically, they are not always specific and can also affect the beneficial or harmless bacteria in the gut. So that can lead into a shift of the composition of your gut microbiome. So that's one. The other thing, how antibiotics can impact your gut microbiome is it can reduce our inner ecosystem's diversity. What we know, and you you probably heard me say this a thousand times, that a diverse microbiome is generally considered healthy. You know, this is what we should be striving for because it can protect us against harmful bacteria and sort of the other nasties, basically. And it also supports various aspects of digestion and nutrient absorption. So antibiotics do have an impact on diversity. Then just like you mentioned about C. difficile, you know, antibiotics again can encourage the overgrowth of harmful pathogens. If you don't have beneficial bacteria and you've killed them off, the opportunistic bad ones, let's say the harmful bad ones, can outgrow leading to infections like C. difficile. So that's maybe one thing to kind of keep in mind. And the other thing is that temporary imbalance. So after a course of antibiotics, the gut microbiome can actually take some time to recover. So for some people, again, I know there are quite a few studies out there to see how badly your gut microbiome is impacted after a course of antibiotics. But for some people, it can be just a few months and actually other people can be years you know, after antibiotic treatment. So that can also depend on the type and duration of the antibiotics used. So is there anything that you'd like to add to that? No, with this, the duration of the bad effect of the antibiotic, you remember when we talked in irritable bowel syndrome that we 
after you've got bacterial gastroenteritis, you can develop symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome six months later. Yeah, so this is uh, one of the bad effects of the antibiotic later on, which is, it happens May after six months. And the biggest ugly, I believe, is resistance. I think right now we are dealing with, I mean, which is extremely scary. Doctors need to start really thinking seriously about the overuse and overprescription of antibiotics. Yeah, what's the antibiotic resistance? Do you know, Sandra, or I can say it? No, I, I do know, obviously, what antibiotic resistance is. But Dad, you can okay. go ahead and explain it. All right. Well, it means that the certain bacteria are not longer affected by the antibiotics that were once able to kill or inhibit this growth. means that we use antibiotic and you are cured. And you got the same problem and use the same antibiotic, it doesn't affect you. So you develop resistance to this antibiotic. So when the bacteria become resistant to the antibiotic infection caused by the bacteria can become more challenging to treat, cannot treat the same infection with the same antibiotic. So it might require stronger antibiotic, alternative antibiotic, and the treatment would be longer. And this eventually will increase the healthcare cost and severe illnesses will come up. Another thing, which is it limit the treatment option. Yani we we got the antibiotic resistance to continue to rise now. So mm-hmm. the range of effective antibiotic become narrower. And when so it, it makes, makes it, it very difficult yeah. to yes. sort of find any treatment to treat the infection that you're dealing with. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Sometimes we have to do the sensitivity test to see the which antibiotic are suitable for this infection. And in some patients, I remember I just uh, about a week ago, one patient has urinary tract infection and she showed me the culture results. She has very limited, maybe two antibiotics, which is sensitive to this infection because she has been taking antibiotic before many times for some. So is that common with people who have used antibiotics or, you know, the multiple use of antibiotics for a very long time? And definitely. And the the cause as well, the illness itself will be prolonged and hospital still will be more and delayed recovery and so forth. And eventually it will increase the healthcare cost as well. So how can you address antibiotic resistance? We have to think properly and see how to use the antibiotic. We use the antibiotic properly and only when necessary, not if I got uh, diarrhea, go to take antibiotic. If I got cough, I go to antibiotic. We have to see the doctor, see the professional and discuss the antibiotic with, with your care professional and don't take it just like this. Yeah, but maybe this is also up to the patient. The patient should, I mean, this is myself, for example, maybe that's just me, my nature, but I think it's quite crucial that a patient creates dialogue with their doctor and actually asks them whether they truly need this antibiotic or not. And, you know, risks versus benefit. That's right. That's what we said, is to discuss with your doctor and see, do you need it or not? Do you feel there are some doctors that are overly, I mean, of course there are doctors that are overly, but why do you think some doctors are overly prescribing antibiotics? Maybe that's the question. I'm not sure, but sometimes I'm not uh, sure, but they said this 
He's got viral infection, but maybe he's got secondary bacterial infection. So I give him the antibiotic just in case, which is not very scientific, but I'm not sure this it happens or not. But it might be I'm sure it one, does not. You're just being too nice about it. So it's a, more of a precautionary or just a, but again, that's just that that is backfiring clearly. And I think another point, which actually even in the past, even working with clients, another important to reduce antibiotic resistance, if you were prescribed antibiotics, that you should actually finish the full course? Definitely. Some people here as well, they take antibiotics, they got bacterial infection, they take antibiotic. The doctor tell them take anything twice daily for five days. Two days, patient is okay. All right, so I stop it. So I stop the antibiotic, which is very bad behavior or attitude. You never stop the course. You have to take the full course of the antibiotic as prescribed by the doctor. Even, Even if you're feeling better. hundred yeah. percent. This to ensure the complete eradication of the bacteria because sometimes you are okay, symptom-free, but still some infection going on and there is still bacteria not yet killed. So we have to complete the course. And of course, you do have to discuss all of this with your healthcare professionals, your doctor, and this will advise you about everything. Okay, well, another question that I get asked quite frequently is, what sort of nutrition strategies do I need to be mindful of if I am on antibiotics? Is that something that your patients ask you, Dad, at any point or not really? Definitely. And that's why I uh, you have to answer these questions. How I, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm taking antibiotic, when I take it and which food I can avoid and which food I can take? What is this? I mean, if we had to look at, let's say, the timing of antibiotics, which I'm sure you also you know, tell your clients, just making sure that you do not take them on an empty stomach. And it's generally about, you know, the rule of thumb is after a meal, unless the antibiotic that you're taking has been specifically prescribed to be taken before meals. You know, the big question is like, are there certain foods that I should be avoiding? I would say there are probably three main foods that you should be avoiding or just being very mindful of. One is alcohol. So generally we do recommend avoiding alcohol while taking on anti- you know, while taking antibiotics because alcohol can interact with some antibiotics and reduces its effectiveness and can cause side effects like nausea, vomiting, dizziness, or even a fast heartbeat. So I always say, look, it's definitely essential that you check in with your doctor or the pharmacist regarding alcohol specific to your antibiotic. So alcohol is one. And the second one, interestingly, is dairy products, but that also depends on your antibiotic too. So for example, there's a specific class of antibiotics called tetracyclines. These compounds or these antibiotics can bind to calcium-containing foods like dairy products, so like your milk, yogurt, and your cheese, and it reduces their absorption in the body. So generally speaking, we say to make sure that you are really absorbing your antibiotics, make sure you take your medications at least two hours before or after consuming dairy products. And the third, I would say, let's say food to potentially avoid, again, it depends on the antibiotic that you're taking. It will be grapefruit and grapefruit juice because it can affect the absorption and efficacy of antibiotics and it can interact with certain antibiotics. So that can even increase the risk of side effects. So again, you should always ask your doctor or the pharmacist if you can actually consume grapefruit while you're on that specific antibiotic. Now, the other main guidelines when you are on antibiotics, actually, 
I mean, funny enough, we talk about diversity and eating 30 plant ingredients per week or having a plant-centered diet and making sure you have enough fiber. The reason we encourage that is if you were to have to take an antibiotic, your chances of your gut microbiome recovering faster is actually higher. There's really not enough research out there to show us, you know, the before, during, and after. But if you've got, you know, a solid gut with a plant-centered diet beforehand, you can go into that period of taking antibiotics, being reassured that you're going to come out of it, gut microbiome recovering faster. So during antibiotics, just make sure you maintain a diverse diet. Make sure you include 30 plant ingredients per week and focus on prebiotics. Now, remember, I know we've spoken about prebiotics in the last season, and these are the specific fibers that are there to nourish our probiotics. So these are your, your good gut bugs. And a few examples of prebiotics are things like your beans, lentils, chickpeas, your barley, artichokes, beetroot, onion, and mushrooms, for example. So there's a whole ton of foods that are excellent sources of prebiotics. Just make sure you include them daily and then stay well hydrated. So that's generally the, the, the main guidelines of what you should be mindful of when you are on antibiotics. And then when you're at, you know, after antibiotics, again, it's really just going back to, or just really maintaining diversity. So the key word here is a diverse plant-centered diet. Dad, I know you spoke about yep. prevent, I mean, uh, yes. antibiotic-associated diarrhea, but we didn't touch up on probiotics because it is I'm not going to say a controversial topic, but there's a lot of conflicting science out there as to what should we be doing? Should we take a probiotic after? Should we not? What do you well, generally is, recommend? There is no guidelines, solid guidelines for using the probiotic with or after antibiotics. But from the observation point of view, and sometimes patients themselves, they take probiotic probiotics after the antibiotic or sometimes with it. So, however, usually we don't give us a routine, but sometimes as patient, yeah, sometimes we get already taken the probiotic when they got the infection as well. But Usually, we don't recommend or give probiotic as a routine. But in some cases, for example, sometimes in, uh, they recommend to give a probiotic course after eradication of the H. pylori. Some people, they do this and some people, they don't. In a patient with the uh, SIBO, sometimes after taking the uh, specific antibiotic for SIBO, lower Yes, small intestinal overgrowth. bacterial overgrowth. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes they take the probiotic after this the course of a probiotic. And the probiotic, it's over the counter. So uh, some people, they are happy to take it, but there is no solid guidelines for that. I would say the only solid guidelines we, we have are related to preventing antibiotic-associated diarrhea. So that's, again, correct me. I mean, this is something that I generally advise, and I do know some gastroenterologists here, but that also depends on the antibiotics. So there are two types of probiotics that are known to prevent antibiotic-associated diarrhea. One is called Lactobacillus uh, rhamnosus (GG). And then the other one is a probiotic yeast called, which you probably heard on here before, Saccharomyces boulardii, and that's a probiotic yeast. And the dosage for Lactobacillus rhamnosus GG is about 5 to 6 billion CFU. So you would take it during the course of antibiotics and then one week after. And the same thing applies for the probiotic yeast. So it's just during the course and then one week afterwards and then you stop. So generally, that's the kind of probably the only time 
I have personally worked with probiotics and antibiotics. And just like you said, it's, it's really dependent on the condition, perhaps whether a multi-strain probiotic is worthwhile, including after a course of antibiotics, but actually there's really no solid evidence to support that. Wrapping up, Dad, what are your take-home messages? First thing, the antibiotic must be used if indicated only. They are very good drugs if they used properly. Number two, must be prescribed by healthcare professional, by your doctor, not over the counter, not by your friend. The third point is that you have to take the full course of the antibiotics as prescribed, even if you feel 100% normal. Number four, we have to observe the antibiotic side effect and inform your doctor as soon as any side effect happens or you feel any abnormal symptom. This is my main uh, take-home message. What's yours then? I would definitely say make sure you have a conversation with your doctor about whether you actually need to take an antibiotic or not. And also again, probiotics. Do not take a probiotic unless you have discussed that with your healthcare professional. And maintain a diverse diet. Think of those 30 plants per week as as a standard while you're on antibiotics and after, and that will help recover the diversity of your gut microbiome. And that is all for today. But I want to send you all a reminder that you can actually start sending some questions through. So whether you follow me on Instagram, Dad, you're still not on Instagram, right? You don't have an official account. No, 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 I don't. <laughs> maybe we should. Well, maybe I'm not going to say you shouldn't really because social media is a rabbit hole. Yeah. And I've been getting quite a lot of messages and questions. So you can actually send some questions through or you can send some questions via email as well. And I'm going to add that in the show notes too. So you can actually send your questions through via email about a specific topic, whether we've addressed it in the past or we haven't yet. But I think it'll be fun to start answering your questions, keeping in mind that we cannot give individualized medical or nutritional advice. So we try to keep it as generalized as possible, but we hope we see you on here throughout the season. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Gastroenterologist and His Daughter podcast. Don't forget to join us again. And if you've been enjoying our chats, make sure you subscribe, follow, or leave a review on your chosen platform.